the mystery history podcast i'm allison i'm rachel welcome to episode 117 on waverly hill sanatorium part one part one of the sanatorium there will be two parts the second part will be more interesting probably (laughs) (laughs) this is this is history which is a part of our name and it is important that we go over this and i'm sure there'll be some mystery too probably later <laughs> in part two some some around in here i guess this is yeah we're just hitting the history part mystery comes later it has to be done <laughs> well and i will say i feel like we talked about how we were going to do this episode and we decided we were going to do a history portion first even though you and your brother had already done an episode mm-hmm. on waverly hills but once i listened i listened to another podcast and it's called dark histories uh-huh. And after I listened to it, I was like, OMG, this guy has a bunch of really cool stuff. Yeah. That I didn't know and was very interested in. And then that kind of got me excited to do this part. So I hope you guys learned something new from all of this because I know I did. <laughs> it's always cool to to see how things came to be. Um, and that's a lot of why people enjoy like uh, like your husband and uh one of the other people's husbands they came with us to waverly hills not because they didn't believe in ghosts they Total still don't skeptics yeah they didn't but... leave anymore believed <laughs> <laughs> but the history is what draws them in so um so yeah i'm excited to learn more too and and i gotta tell you whenever we do like even whenever it was jordan and i doing the the notes for these once i was doing the notes for every single episode back then so once I was done with that episode, I was completely on a new episode and I forgot literally everything from the prior ones. So yeah, I will be learning fresh with you guys <laughs> on the history of this. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so before we get into the history of Waverly Hills, um, we want you to like share subscribe friends do it do <laughs> it uh you can always leave us a five-star review on spotify or apple we would really appreciate that yes, we also we would we also have the two dollar tier the five dollar tier still that you can get for our patreon uh we just are over 100 episodes now so lots of content i would like to say real quick on that too I have been listening to some other podcasts that are in the same vein as ours, and they seem to have, because they read off their new Patreon members each week, they seem to be getting a ton of Patreon members, and we don't have a ton. No. And I'm wondering, how does that happen? So if you have any suggestions. Yeah. What would it take for you to be a Patreon member? Because I know I'm I'm a Patreon member to our own <laughs> podcast still before but you just never took it off (laughs) I don't because I'm like that I I sign up for stuff and then I'll just go ahead and pay that until the day I die um so yeah I know I did that because I wanted the extra episodes and I wanted to support you and your brother but what is it that gets people to be patreon members yeah I'm interested I'd love some feedback on that so let us know what we what can we do to make you a patreon member yeah that's a good idea yeah because you get um an 
an episode every Friday. And then you also get merch codes for discounts to our store. Uh, but what else? We also give free stickers mm-hmm. out like it's nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have those. If you'd like one, let us know. Yes, we do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I ordered way too many. <laughs> um, and then also real quick, we are partnering with uh, Big Wicks Candle Company. We announced that last episode. So if you go to their website, bigwickscandlecompany.com and use mystery for the promo code, you get 10% off. Oh my gosh. I um, it. It's so good. It's so good. And they're so cute. Oh, they're just two cuties making candles. So uh, <laughs> they just dropped yep. their fall line. They've got a hocus pocus thing going on which sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Just go give them some love and buy some of their stuff. And they're not bad. They're not like they're 12 bucks for, you know, for a good Yeah, they're not candle. like overpriced. Nope, nope. A fair price for a fair candle. Yep. All right. That's all I have. Okay. Well, I don't think I have anything either. Outside of the fact that I've been pushing for us now to do a, another trip to Waverly Hills, Oh, mm, mm-hmm. next year or the year after, depending on what we have to do as far as like signing up for it. But they have tours where you can rent out the whole building, basically. And I think it's for like, what, a thousand dollars. I would yeah. need details to really go off on this, but we would need 10 people, I think. Yeah, I think it was a thousand bucks. So for our tickets, it was ninety dollars. And for that, if we got 10 people, it'd be a hundred. So well and that would be it. so much better because when we went on this trip, there was 50 people or so, and it was kind of hard to get quiet time. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested in going back with a group of just us, like just our people. So we can kind of cordon off where everybody's going and get the sound pollution out of the situation. So we can actually do some EVP sessions Mm -hmm. and then not be completely wrecked. Um, And then two, just being able to go somewhere in there and like sit and be quiet and alone. Yeah, because there was no, and it's kind of amazing because yeah, there was like 50 or 60 people there, which is a good amount of folks. However, when you look at this building, it looks massive. But then whenever Mm -hmm. you're walking around in there, it's the only thing I almost died on is the, um, what is it? The body shoot. Body shoot. Yeah. Literally almost didn't make it out of there alive (laughs) because I couldn't breathe. (laughs) Not because of anything paranormal, just because I'm fat and that's a lot of freaking stairs. And it was hot in there. There was no air flow. (sighs) That was the worst. If we go back, we need to go in like the winter where we can cover up with blankies and not be a million degrees because that was it the was worst very part. Hot. Yeah, it but, was pretty toasty. But it, it is amazing to me, like thinking about how big that is, that even 50 to 60 people, it was really hard to be alone. Yeah, I mean, we definitely had alone time, but if we were trying to do an EVP session in there, it would be so difficult because at some point during like a 15 minute sit down, somebody is going to walk by. Like there were people walking and being noisy, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. we were too. So I'm not like poo pooing anybody. We were all so noisy. But yeah, it would just pollute any sort of EVP session that you had going on. So, and I think maybe the 
worst part is that we did the tour because we never been there before. So whenever you go, you can choose to just go off and do your own thing or you can take this tour and it's about an hour long. And I'm really glad we did that because it gave you some of the history. It pointed out where things happened. But then that means that all of those people want to go to all of those spots that they pointed out where things happened. So it makes it difficult to get to those hotter spots because everybody wants to go there. Yeah, Um, definitely. So yeah, let us know if you guys would be interested. Um, I know that Jackie would probably definitely want to go again. She had a good time. We had Mm -hmm. a good time with her. Um, Yes, we did. So yeah, let us know if you'd be interested in that. But we need like you, we have to have you and your money because we don't have thousands of dollars. No, it would need to be a commitment. So if you are interested, we are interested. Hit us up in messenger let us know what's going on yep and we will get this scheduled because i would love to do that again i had so much fun yeah i think um just it's a very cool atmosphere definitely all right right. let's get started all right (laughs) (laughs) so to begin with we're going to be talking about the history of tuberculosis and then we'll go into waverly hills By the mid-1800s, tuberculosis had reached epidemic levels in Europe and the United States, the disease now known to be infectious, attacking the lungs and damaging other organs. Before the advent of antibiotics, its victims slowly wasted away, becoming pale and thin before finally dying of what was then known as consumption. Between 1780 and 1850, There's an increasing aesthetization of tuberculosis that becomes entwined with feminine beauty, says Carolyn Day, an assistant professor of history. During that time, consumption was thought to be caused by hereditary susceptibility and miasmas or bad airs in the environment. That's a bad airs. (laughs) Yeah. Among the upper class, one of the ways people judged a woman's predisposition to tuberculosis was by her attractiveness, Days says. That's because tuberculosis enhances those things that are already established as beautiful in women, she explains, such as the thinness and pale skin that result from weight loss and lack of appetite caused by the disease. The 1909 book, this one's a a lot, Tuberculosis, a treatise by American authors on its etiology, pathology, frequency, semiology, diagnosis, prognosis, prevention, and treatment, confirms this notion. (laughs) Yeah, it's a long name. With the authors noting a considerable number of patients have and had had for years previous to their sickness, a delicate, transparent skin, as well as fine, silky hair, sparkling or dilated eyes, rosy cheeks and red lips were also common in tuberculosis patients, which are characteristics now known to be caused by frequent low grade fever. Huh? So it was like. Almost like an honor. Yeah, it was fashionable to basically have tuberculosis before it became completely crazy and was killing everybody. And they too, I mean, in again, in the Stark Histories podcast, I don't have notes on it in here, but they were talking about how, you know, when you had tuberculosis, you would cough blood Mm -hmm. into handkerchiefs. And people that had tuberculosis would cough blood into handkerchiefs. But then even people that like didn't have tuberculosis would always have handkerchiefs like tucked in. To make it look like they were cool. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? 
It's that insane. Is. This is this is very similar to like the Radium Girls because that episode I did that with my brother and that is one episode that has always stuck with me that these women would take radium because it glowed and would use it as lip gloss they would use it as nail polish they would paint their body because it would glow and this was like a cool thing everybody was using radium and then their jaws started falling off and then it's like oh this is no longer this, cool yeah maybe <laughs> not as cool as we thought and had a good run <laughs> yeah i mean people looked cool and their lips were red because they were bleeding out of their mouths until they dropped dead because of tuberculosis right <clears throat> crazy Okay, so now um, it says we also begin to see elements in fashion that either highlight symptoms of the disease or physically emulate the illness, Day says. The height of this so-called consumptive chic. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm shocked. Okay. Came in the mid-1800s when fashionable pointed corsets showed off low waifish waists and volum... Oh, God voluminous skirts further emphasize women's narrow middles middle and upper class women always attempted to emulate the consumptive appearance by using makeup to lighten their skin redden their lips and color their cheeks pink now that is something that is just like maybe not around yeah because of consumption no but right but i mean i guess it does parallel with that yep The second half of the 19th century ushered in a radically transformed understanding of tuberculosis when in 1882, Robert Koch announced that he had discovered, what is it? It's Koch. I don't know. Is it Koch? I would have said Koch, but you're just like, Koch. (laughs) This H is silent. Koch. Koch or Koch announced that he had discovered and isolated the bacteria that caused the disease. By then, germ theory had emerged, which is very important. We just did Mm. an episode on Typhoid Mary, who was a sheaf or a Mm. chef, as some would say, that never washed her hands. (laughs) This is the idea that microscopic organisms, not miasmas, cause certain diseases. Bad (laughs) air. Yeah, bad air. I hate when when I touch that bad air. Just a pocket of bad air. (laughs) Koch's discovery helped germ theory gain more legitimacy and convinced physicians and public health experts that tuberculosis was contagious. Wowzers. Consumptive chic. Just let's sit with that for a minute. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) Preventing the spread of tuberculosis became the impetus for some of the large-scale american and european public health campaigns with many of which target women's fashion doctors began to decry long trailing skirts as culprits of disease these skirts physicians says were responsible for sweeping up germs on the street and bringing disease into the home i mean fair i could see that or like <laughs> and how often are you washing them probably not very not not often enough i am sure um, there was a cartoon, The Trailing Skirt, Death Loves a Shining Mark, which appeared in Puck Magazine in 1900, and the illustration shows a maid shaking off clouds of germs from her lady's skirt as angelic-looking children stand in the background. Behind the maid looms a skeleton holding a scythe, which is a symbol of death. Ooh. So, yeah, they the tides were a turnin' over here. Well, good. 
because they needed to. Uh, germ theory is very important. It is very important. And like it went from being the cool thing to have. And at this point, it like about faced. So people were, um, I mean, basically pretending like they had tuberculosis to be great cool. right? to yeah. be like chic. And then once it came out that it was contagious and killing people and germy, <laughs> then like uh, beauty parlors and barbershops and restaurants and all these places started turning people away because they were literally printing in the newspapers who had tuberculosis. Oh, really? Wow. So it basically became like a witch hunt. Yeah. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, nobody wants it. Like everybody's acting like they have it. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, not it. Wow, that wasn't me. Ooh. So men's fashion was also targeted. In the Victorian period, uh, beards, sculpted mustaches, and extravagant sideburns had been all the rage, like they are today. Again, mm -hmm. they've turned back, which I'm not mad about. Me either. The trend can be partially credited to British soldiers who grew facial hair to keep warm during the war in the 1850s. But Did facial you hair. Skip the word. Yeah, I'm going to start skipping words. Crimean. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Crimean? Crimean. Crimean. <laughs> the Crimean War. You know that war that was in the 1850s. <laughs> no, they don't. Don't call out my shit. <laughs> I, I hand typed this. Read the word. <laughs> well, uh, spell it in a way I would be able to read. <laughs> but anyway. She's a dumb phonics. I know. They know this already. That's probably why we don't have any Patreon people. <laughs> <laughs> but facial hair was also popular in the United States where razors were difficult to use and often unsafe, especially when not cleaned properly. But by the 1900s, beards and mustaches themselves were deemed very dangerous. Uh, there is no way of computing the number of bacteria and noxious germs that may lurk in the Amazonian jungles of a well-whiskered face. <laughs> <laughs> but their number must be legion. Isn't that great? <laughs> Says Edwin F. Bowers. What a guy. That is amazing. You should just write poetry. I love that. <laughs> their numbers must be legion. <laughs> <laughs> He was an American doctor known for pioneering reflexology. He wrote in a 1916 issue of McClure's magazine, measles, scarlet fever, diphtheria, tuberculosis, whooping cough, common and uncommon colds, and a host of other infectious diseases can be and undoubtedly are transmitted via the whisker route. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. Uh... <laughs> Isn't that great? Man, may lurk in the Amazonian jungles of a well-whiskered face. What? That is poetry. Oh, it is. I mean, that, their numbers must be legion, and then transmitted via the whisker route. This guy. What a if guy. He wasn't, if he wasn't out there writing books, wasted talent. Yeah. <laughs> he was killing it. By the dawn of the 19th century, tuberculosis or consumption had killed one in seven of all people that had ever lived. Wow. Wow. That's bananas. Yeah. Throughout much of the 1800s, consumptive patients sought the cure in sanatoriums where it was believed that rest and a healthful climate could change the course of the disease. In 1884, Edward Trudeau opened America's first sanatorium at Saranac Lake, New York, 
where patients sat outside on the wide sun porches to take the fresh air cure. And that was in 1896. Sanit- or in 1896, sanatoriums soon just started springing up all over the United States. With increased knowledge of the contagion came increased prejudice. And that prejudice is what I was talking about. They were printing lists off about people. You know, it was a witch hunt. And there soon became lungers camps. And there was one outside of Phoenix, Arizona in 1903 where tuberculosis sufferers lived. And it was like, you know, a concentration camp type situation. I'm sure it wasn't as bad, but it did not look like a place you'd want to live. They were like sending people out there to just go be sick. To die, essentially. Just basically. Yeah. Man. All right. Many famous people suffered with TB. Although Edgar Allan Poe died a mysterious death, his mother, his foster mother, his brother, and his wife all died from TB. Eleanor Roosevelt, who was born in 1884 and died in 1962, the former first lady died as a result of anemia, tuberculosis, and heart failure. She might have gotten the disease from her social work with teens, her visits to Europe during World War I with Franklin D. Roosevelt, or when she accompanied her friend to Switzerland for his TB treatment. Or, or yeah, or just his her friend, mm-hmm. right? I mean, George yeah, Orwell, he was born in 1903 and died in 1950, author of 1984, had bronchitis, oh geez, degue fever? Dengue. Mr. Magoo and pneumonia as a child later in life he contracted TB (laughs) shush through experts oh though experts are still debating whether it was the result of his childhood ailments his return to Burma or the years he spent in poverty as a vagabond which is weird that George Orwell lived in poverty yeah I agree. He was like because nineteen eighty four is like yeah. I mean that's a big, big thing. And didn't he also write Animal Farm? Yeah, yeah, he so. did. Can confirm. Just googled. I mean, he was like a a legit writer of things. The next one is Frederic Chopin, <laughs> otherwise known as the the uh, piano player. Eighteen ten. <laughs> to 1849 he died of consumption at age 39 historical records indicate episodes of hematosis during performances which doesn't Mm -hmm. sound good and that's the blood coughing situation oh that would Ooh, how are you going to do that when you're trying to slap on those ivory keys i don't know if he um did he conduct i don't know whatever i thought he was a piano player yeah, Maybe he definitely he was... wrote things. Well, if he know. wrote things, he'd have to play them, right? Right, but I don't know if he wrote things and then like dun 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 uh... orchestra. What are those called? Orchestrators. Sure, <laughs> that's not what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as civilized as some people. I don't like the theater. I don't know what they are. Um, I'm... Anne Hard and Emily Bronte and other Bronte. members. <sighs> You know Bronte. No, I don't. Why do you yeah. think I know Bronte? Are you kidding me? No, I don't. But we're about to learn. And other members of the Bronte family of writers, poets, and painters were struck by TB. And their brother Branwell and Emily all died of it within two years of each other. Wow, that's rough. That Just is rough. bam, bam, bam. 
Charlotte. And they wrote a lot of stuff. You did you ever read Jane Eyre? No. Oh, sister. I'm we're starting of... a we're starting a classical book reading club. Not, it's happening. I'm not classical. I don't care. I don't, like I don't the care. Theater. I don't care. <laughs> I like thrillers. It's a little bit of a thrill. Hmm. If you get past the old English. I can't. Obviously, I really struggle. <laughs> I really struggle. I'm gonna have to read it out loud to myself, and then I'm all the words are gonna be wrong. <laughs> Charlotte oh Bronte's death in 1855 was stated as the time as having been due to tuberculosis, but there's some controversy over if that's really what killed her or not today. Nobody knows. Yeah. So lots of uh, old timey famous people. That would have Basically. been easier to say for sure. Yeah. Could have been one sentence, but here we are. But you needed the in, weight in the of, it. of it. And that is a lot of people. Yeah, it is a lot of people for sure. Did you ever read about Edgar Allan Poe dying and like no. the circumstances of his death? We should do a Patreon episode on that because yeah. when I took this part, I was like, his mysterious death. I thought he was just an alcoholic. And then I started looking at it and it is mysterious kind of like crazy so we'll do an episode on that yeah okay anyways on to waverly hills specifically so waverly hills sits on land that was originally purchased by major thomas h hayes in 1883 major hayes was in need of a school for his daughters to attend so he started a one-room schoolhouse that was located on pages lane he hired a woman named lizzie lee harris to teach at the school her love for the tiny school, in addition to her fondness for Sir Walter Scott's Waverly novels, prompted her to name the little schoolhouse Waverly School. Major Hayes liked the name and chose to name his property Waverly Hill. The Board of Tuberculosis Hospital kept the name after purchasing the land and opening the sanatorium. So <laughs> everybody likes the name. Rolls off the tongue well, gives you a good feeling. That is interesting. The purchasing of land was through the creation of an institutional infrastructure in Louisville in Jefferson County to diagnose and treat tuberculosis in the first decade of the 20th century when the Kentucky Anti-TB Association helped to establish a free TB dispensary and two sanatoriums. In 1906, the association put a bill before the state legislator creating the Board of TB Hospitals and approving Louisville and Jefferson County tax levies to fund public sanatoriums. So the first lease um, was at a place on West Chestnut Street, but the resistance from the neighbors to a TB clinic so close to their homes convinced the landlord to refuse possession of the of the building. They moved down the street and moved equipment into the building in the middle of the night before the neighbors could realize what was happening. <laughs> they um, learned their lesson. <laughs> through many efforts, um, there were there were many ways to dodge the dis oh, I'm sorry, dislodge the dispensary before a resident begrudgingly accepted it. So they're like, okay, yeah. whatever. They wow. tried after it was put in. And when we say dispensary, just FYI, because when I hear dispensary, I'm like, somebody is selling the weed, weed. gummies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the dispensary is not really a dispensary per se. It's more just a place where you could come if you had tuberculosis or thought you had tuberculosis and they would diagnose or treat you 
on the spot. So it wasn't a place where you came and stayed. It was more like just a quick doctor's office kind of visit situation. Okay. And it is weird now, like whenever you go to Waverly Hills, because there's two apartment buildings right right at the bottom of the hill. Mm-hmm. And you're like, dang, this ain't going to be spooky. These two apartment buildings are right here. But then you go up this long, winding Waverly Hill, and then there it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at this point, I just think it's hilarious that they tried to set this up somewhere and everybody was like, oh, heck no. And they were like, oh, okay, well, let's just move our shit in the middle of the night. Right. And <laughs> we'll put everything in there. And they can't say no and now. And they can't say no after we're all <laughs> set up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, me up. Originally, Waverly Hills was a two-story frame building with a hipped roof and half timbering. No clue what any of that means. Construction on this building began in 1908 and opened for business on July 26, 1910. The building was designed to accommodate 40 to 50 tuberculosis patients safely. At the time, tuberculosis was a very serious disease people who were afflicted were isolated from the general public and placed in an area where they could rest stay calm and have plenty of fresh air sanatoriums were built on high hills surrounded by peaceful woods to create a serene atmosphere to help the patients recover but it was like rest to the point of would you like to go insane here yeah right because There's they nothing would to do, do yeah they wouldn't even let you like read books that had too much action in them like if you got a book it was like a boring book wow. and they would lay things on top of you so you couldn't move oh, like, I don't like it. yeah all sorts of crazy stuff it was like very forced rest not restful rest like well and how restful can you actually rest in a hospital anytime i've ever had a hospital stay it's not restful ever oh no no not really can't sleep at all <laughs> no they're always coming in the damn room wanting to take your blood um tb was becoming an epidemic in valley station pleasure pleasure ridge park and other parts of jefferson county in kentucky the little tb clinic was filled with more than 140 people and it was which it was meant for 40 50, to 50 right so double yep times more three, than double three, three. Yeah, And it was obvious that a much larger hospital was needed to treat those afflicted with the condition because TB was so extremely contagious and in epidemic proportions, those living with it could not be allowed to live and exist among the general population. It was not known at the time that TB was an airborne disease. So at this point, they just thought it was like germs from Mm -hmm. stuff, not that it was airborne. That a cough could pass it to somebody else. Mm hmm. Despite continued opposition from residents, the board hired a local architect named J.J. Gaffney to design the $150,000 sanatorium. Waverly Hills opened in 1910, so like the real Waverly Hills, after the dispensary closed in 1908 and was envisioned as a tax-funded institution free for white and black patients from Louisville and Jefferson County. They constructed multiple buildings and intended to separate white and black patients and far advanced cases versus early cases of tuberculosis. But because of costs, the original sanatorium consisted of a two-story stucco admin building flanked on each side by an open-air pavilion, each with 20 beds and an enclosed bathing, oh, and enclosed bathing and dressing rooms. Yeah. 
The admin building contained doctor's offices, staff dining, and nurse classrooms, with the second floor containing living quarters for nurses. The back of the building was for patients and employee dining rooms, the kitchen, storeroom, and an ice refrigeration room. In the bathroom was the laundry. In the basement. What did I say? Bathroom? Bathroom. (laughs) I'm so tired. I'm sorry. In the basement was the laundry and living quarters for other employees. Patients were moved in 1911 from the main hospital to temporary tents outside the new Waverly Hills Hospital. So when I say main hospital, I think I need to clear that up a little bit. There was like a a regular Louisville hospital Mm -hmm. and they had the sanatorium. But then when they decided to build onto the sanatorium, they moved these tuberculosis patients that were in the regular hospital out to Waverly Hills before it was like all the way ready. So they put them in these tents. Yeah. Okay. Ew. Not fun. Uh, The tents were described as substantial and were erected on raised wooden floors with temporary buildings for bathrooms. Dr. Wilson later recalled those months as trying times of caring for these patients during the vicissitudes of weather, both fair and foul, both hot and cold. These tents raised the beds to 90s instead of the 40 to 50. Yeah. Correct. But, and and that's the thing, like they wanted everybody to have this open air. Why would you pick Kentucky? Like Kentucky is similar to Ohio where we get very cold and very hot. So it's not like. Hot is humid. To me, like. California. Colorado situation makes sense like you're up in the mountains I don't feel like it gets nearly as humid out there as it does here and that makes more sense like a drier heat kind of situation here it's like freaking swamplands sometimes yeah and it's so heavy it's hard to breathe with good lungs but I guess TB was everywhere so it doesn't really matter where you're located you would need a hospital in every area essentially to be able to to take care of all these people yeah but definitely I don't, I don't know and yeah tents in the winter yeah no i'm not trying to freaking camp out in the winter here it's awful no <laughs> by 1914 total capacity at waverly hills had increased to 170 beds located in the original pavilions According to the Board of TB Hospital, just over a thousand patients were admitted to the sanatorium from July 1910 to September 1914. Of this total, 251 were black, 757 were white, and 635 were categorized as far advanced cases. Wow. I feel like I just want to dip in here real quick and say I'm separating like black and white because I think it's important and interesting just the percentages and all of that and the fact that they did end up keeping them separated Mm -hmm. and i i mean when we took that tour and i haven't found anything yet but it just i'm certain things were probably not as nice as you find in history yeah (laughs) and i'm interested in hearing those types of situations and just whatever so i thought that was an interesting little Factoid, um, a total of 322 patients died at Waverly Hills in these first four years of operation. Wow. So something something that we'll talk about in our part two episode, which will be coming next week, is I'm certain we'll talk about this, the inflation of the number of deaths at Waverly Hills. I mean, if you look places, it's like in the, I don't even know. Tens even, of thousands. 
yeah was it like 60,000 or something crazy I can't remember what they said even on our tour they -hmm. said a huge number and it's not true it's just not it's just not and what we'll be going over um so this is the end of part one what we'll be going over in part two is more of the a little bit more history of Waverly Hills but things get a little iffy from here because Louisville, Kentucky is on the Ohio River mm-hmm. and they had flooding and they had fires and all sorts of things that, um, I mean, just got rid of records. Not to mention when they closed Waverly Hills down, they destroyed records at that point. Not for any reason like they were trying to hide anything. It was more or less a situation of we don't need what these do records do with them? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, go ahead and just get rid of them. So there's not really a solid number on how many deaths occurred. Well, and then whenever Waverly closed down that other, what was that other um, place that took over? And Mm -hmm. that was even worse than Waverly was and was really mismanaged. That also contributed to a lot of deaths that didn't have anything Mm -hmm. to do with TB, but just, you know, I think a lot of things got covered up there also. Well, and you know what? I read something that said that things weren't as bad there as they made it seem. And it was like political that they were trying to close that building Uh, down. uh So, I mean, it's really hard to say. And that's the thing. That's the thing with like historical kinds of situations like this. The history that makes it is what they want you to know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's true with a lot of things in history. Exactly. Yeah. What their this agenda is was. What survived. Yeah. This is mm-hmm. the information that survived through time. It's not necessarily the truth. Yep. <laughs> it's but just this is what, what we know. Was chosen to make it through. <laughs> yeah. So wow. So we'll go over a little bit more history in part two. And then we're really excited to share with you guys the trip experiences that we had. Yeah. I'm excited. We we still haven't gone through. <laughs> we have some stuff to go through still. There's and a fully, lot of stuff. And it's really is. hard. Because you really have to concentrate and, and listen yeah. and edit. Yeah. It's rough. <laughs> it is. That's we'll the worst there. part. <laughs> it is. We'll, we'll make you... it happen. Oh, let me cite my sources. So I used voxmagazine.com, wikipedia.com, pbs.com, smithsonianmag.com, and Waverly Hill Sanatorium, A History by Lynn Pohl, which was a Google book that I've apparently decided I'm going to fully read. <laughs> and then <laughs> and you said, started. didn't you say I, there was a podcast too that yes. you... And that's where I got some of the ideas and then had to do a little bit of extra research because this person um, that does this podcast, he pays for a lot, I think, of access to different journals and things. And I'm cheap. And Hmm. not uh, going to do that. But I am very excited to listen to his other episodes. He's British. So obviously he has a really nice voice to listen to. And it's the Dark Histories podcast with Ben Cutmore. It's got lots of episodes. So I'm excited to dig into that a little bit more. But Awesome. Okay. Well, that was part one of a two-parter. For Waverly Hills Sanatorium episode 117. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>